I'm going to cut to the chase. We live in a first world nation, but increasingly we are living in what feels like a third world state. And I can't do this work alone. None of you can do this work alone. So I am inviting forward others to join me today. Paula, Shay White is a guest. Rebecca, um, Jessica, sorry, Rachel, Kate. I know these people's names. <laughs> And Lynn Rivers is going to join us. The commandments that James read for us. Gilbert said, you've got to preach with the newspaper in one hand. So I brought today's lead article in the opinion section by our superintendent of Tulsa Public Schools by GIST. I'm sure you've all heard that once again there are budget cuts and now the budget cuts are so deep that it will be about closing schools. And I'm not going to give you facts and figures. I'm going to talk about why should we as Hope Unitarian Universalists and Unitarians together work with our fellow citizens to make change, to be that fulcrum. So let's go back to being a third world entity. You know, first world, second world, third world are uh, terms that grew out of World War II and embedded in them are racism and imperialism, but they're still useful dividers for what it means when a group of people can live in prosperity, when there is hope, when there is not corruption in all levels of leadership. Second World, after World War II, became about the Eastern Bloc and Eastern European countries, but it was about what it means to share prosperity and wealth. And then a third world had to do with what happens when there is an increasing divide of wealth and the middle class begins to disappear, when there is increasing corruption, when there is increasing lack of transparency, when people start to go hungry, when there is no relief from systems that are not liberating. But the one marker I want to look at today has to do with literacy and access to education. And we as a nation have not been as forthright about providing public education for all. It has been a very successful way of indoctrinating our Native American community. We did not allow African American slaves to be educated and still we can see the vestiges in our Tulsa public school system today. I don't know about you, and I've said this standing here many times, but I'm still feeling whipped around by, take this action, fill out this survey, do this, do that. 
And we have to make choices with our time. For me, education, I was educated both in public schools at Barnard, where Paula taught, as well as at Holland Hall, where Kate teaches. I have had the luxury of both a public and private education, and we were able to provide that for our children. They had both a private and public education. So have a sense of what... There is no school that's perfect. Let's start there. There is no school that's perfect. But if we don't invest our commitment and time to educating our children, Chief Seattle talks about the future. And if we aren't educating our children now, then seven generations from now will matter. It will matter that there are those who cannot think critically, who cannot form a complete thought, who cannot evaluate or even determine what a fact is. And it's not just about knowledge. It's about feeling that you have a place in the world, that someone cares what you think and are concerned about your development. And if we aren't doing that, I'll make the case that not much else matters. Yes, our bridges matter. Yes, our roads matter. Yes, mental health matters. All that matters. What I'm saying is if we devote our energy and we as Unitarian Universalists have committed ourselves to education all along the way, you expect minister to be educated. We expect you to read and study. It's not just about prophetic voices from on high, but about listening to your fellow human being. That's how we learn. And if we don't provide the tools for learning, then what the heck are we doing? I want to talk about prophetic voices. So in the Bible, all those prophets, we tend to think of them as voodoo, witchcraft, uh, soothsayers who could tell the future. And in reality, all those prophets, Moses, Amos, what they actually were saying is, we can see from where we are today where we're headed. So I have four prophets (laughs) with me today who are going to tell their stories. We've been working with our community organizing. Let me say something about Hope Church works in two ways. We do hard social justice charity work, which is about repairing those who who are in pain today. So we feed the homeless, we adopt a public school, MacArthur Elementary, and we go there and work with the teachers and we provide them what they need today. But that doesn't change the system. It doesn't change what's going to happen in seven generations. So the other work we have to do in tandem is work together with institutions around our city and state. And just so you know, there are institutions throughout the state this weekend who are looking at education. We are not alone. There are at least 17 organizations in Tulsa alone who are doing something like this to springboard ongoing work. So our community organizing is about those next seven generations. If we don't begin to change how the system works, and they're all entwined, 
And if we don't look at ourselves, the, the work of community organizing, what it does is it, it gives you feedback when you get discouraged and you go, you know what, that whole state budget is just a mess. I'm going to garden. Oh, I'm going to make all our gardeners mad. <laughs> um, I'm going to go garden to refresh my soul because I know others are going to work while I'm working and I can come back refreshed and we'll be moving forward together. That's really what it's about. So we have to do both and. So when someone says, oh, yes, the budget is a mess, but what we really need is, our response is yes and. And if we are not working to increase our education Funding, support on all levels, then what are we doing? So may I call forth our first prophet, Paula Haight. She'll tell you a little bit about her experience. I don't think I've ever been called a prophet before. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of other things. Oklahoma has some I'm sorry, that's right I I thought I messed up the order, go ahead my apologies go ahead, go forward (coughs) shall we have Shane first? yes, my apologies we worked out an order and I skipped right over Shay I apologize Shay (coughs) Shay's a guest I'll let you introduce yourself Paula and Powerful I think that's where you were headed with that Um, I must say I am pleased to be here and as a guest and uh, speaking and sharing with you. Uh, I am Shay White. I am a graduate of Oral Roberts and the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I serve now as a licensed therapist. Oh, sometimes I'm taller and sometimes I'm shorter. Most of the times I'm shorter. Testing? Ah, much better. Okay. Hi. I must say, I am pleased to be a guest and able to stand before you and share my story and help out with this sermon today. I am Shay White. I am a graduate of Oral Roberts and the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I now serve as a licensed mental health provider in a school-based setting, primarily with uh, pre-K to fifth grade children and their families. Uh, So the issue of our state budget crisis is one that is both uh, a personal and a general concern of mine. And that's what called me to get involved in the social justice work that uh, the Reverend was just speaking of. With the group Action, uh, I am a part of the leadership with the education team. And what we found throughout our work here in Tulsa is that one of the overwhelming themes um, of issues facing our families was the teacher pay crisis and the constant cuts to education and how that affects not only teachers but also students, parents, communities, neighborhoods, so on and so forth. Um, In my experience, I have been inside of the school for two years now And what I've come to know is that the teachers really understand she's a therapist. (laughs) 
because I'm having so many sidebar conversations because the teachers are exhausted. They are overworked. They're doing the best they can. They're hearing about vouchers and all sorts of other possibilities. Um, I spoke with the principal at my school, and he said his main concern was teacher morale, um, losing teachers. Here in uh, Tulsa, one out of every five teachers either leave the profession, move to a different state, or stop teaching altogether, and um, that's unacceptable. But that's a real issue, and that is our present reality. And I think for people to, to, to understand the importance of investing in education, the importance of building up our communities, building up our, our little ones, giving kids access to quality education, providing teachers with enough pay um, to where we aren't facing things like overcrowded classrooms, uh, multiple certified teachers, emergency certified teachers, four-day school weeks, uh, school closures, teachers having to work multiple jobs. And there's a teacher at my school that actually has to access the uh, food pantry to feed her, her family on her salary. Another conversation I had uh, with a teacher, no, with the principal, his daughter is a teacher, and she's taught for four years in Tulsa, and all of her kids are on free or reduced lunch, and they are all on the student care program, and that is unacceptable. Although I'm happy that the state of Oklahoma has those services in place for now, because we do need you know, to provide for our Oklahomans. The biggest issue is that not only are we cutting education, not only are we cutting teacher pay, but we are also cutting and cutting and cutting across the board in all of the core services. I'm not here to say that education is more important than healthcare, and as a mental health provider, I understand that the cycle is vicious and that, if, that, 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 that all of the problems are intersected and all of the solutions are bound together and that the legislators must do the work to adequately fund the budget. So before I go, I'm, I will say this. If one of us suffer, we all suffer. And it's important to call on our legislators and hold them accountable to their duty. So get involved with action, with their education team, or of any issue that you may have that is pressing. Because we are stronger together, and together we prosper. Thank you. Oklahoma has some of the highest standards in the nation that a person must meet in order to teach in this state. But teacher pay ranks among the lowest in the nation. In the Tulsa public school system, all elementary schools but four are what we call Title I schools. This term means that these schools get a portion of their funding from the federal government. Some of the monies received can be spent at the discretion of the school, but a large percentage of the federal monies goes to ensure that lunches 
and in most cases, breakfasts are served to their students. That's a good thing. When I began my teaching career in the fall of 1969, I was a first grade teacher. There was a federally funded program called High Challenge. This program worked with students struggling to learn to read by increasing their gross motor skills. I used the training that I learned in this program for the rest of my teaching career. Children are not meant to sit still for six hours in a classroom. In the fall of 1980, I was entering my 12th year as a teacher. I was divorced and became the single mother of three teenagers. My daughter, Lee, was a freshman at OSU. And on my salary, it was no trouble at all to get student loans for her. She also worked at the OSU library for her entire college experience. My son, Jeff, was a junior, and my son, Mark, was a, was a sophomore both at Booker T. Washington High School. Try as I might, my salary would not stretch to cover all the expenses that my family needed. Food, housing, that kind of stuff. So I got a second job. The working conditions were not horrible by any stretch of the imagination. I worked at the Lewis Meyer Bookstore on Peoria. Those of you who remember Lewis Meyer know that the, that the work was probably pretty pleasant. Nonetheless, nights, three nights a week, and nine to two on Saturdays, the really hard part was that my two boys had to have supper for themselves three nights a week, and that hurt. This lasted about two years. Please don't get the wrong idea. Teaching was the career I chose, and it was the career I loved. For me, I can't imagine doing anything else to earn a living. I just wish it hadn't been quite so hard financially. Thank you. My name is Rachel, and I'm a third-year teacher. Currently, I work multiple jobs year-round, and my 53-hour work week affects my energy level in my classroom. However, this year is a bit easier than last year when I was selling my plasma to meet my electric bill. I love my kids, but I wish I could spend more time with each of them. I have several students who've graduated who come back to one, the one parental figure they have, me, but I do not have time to help them with resumes or health care, in or out of class. This 53-hour work week is doable now as a 25-year-old, but what about when I am older and considering a family, or am just tired? This is not sustainable or healthy for anyone. I work in a credit recovery program that consists of the same 30-some kids all day. 
the family feel of my classroom is vastly different from the high school that is basically a small city with 40 kids in a room. Most of my kids who are with me now are here because they can't thrive in that environment. When they come to the small alternative school I teach at, they do a total transformation that my coworkers, coworkers and I always laugh about. They now have teachers who know them, care for them, and call them when they're absent from school. I could tell you dozens of stories of gang members developing an interest in math, young ladies asking me sex ed questions, kids finally regularly attending when they came to school three days total the semester before. What if all at-risk kids got more attention? What if we gave them more attention to begin with? Would there be at-risk kids? What could I be doing with my life if I got paid an appropriate wage? Teaching has never been easy. People who think it is a part-time job with summers off just don't get it. And as more... (laughs) And as more families slip below the poverty level, it's becoming even more difficult Those of us who participated in the poverty simulation saw how overwhelming the challenges are when families are struggling and housing and food are insecure. As middle school teacher and author Parker Palmer described, he had a student, a sixth grader, who had been kicked out of his house, was living in a drain culvert, and was trying to join a gang. And he was supposed to make him care about nouns and verbs, Too many families are struggling, and teachers are just supposed to cope with, or worse, solve the problems that poverty creates. Most of my sixth graders in West Tulsa read at a first or second grade level. Their concerns were gangs, drugs, pregnancy, and who is going to fight whom that day. They moved so often there were very few in May that had started the year with me. Teaching is my second career. I first worked as a biologist. After my my daughters were born, teaching seemed like the best way to earn a salary and still be able to spend time with them. I started as an assistant teacher at university school and completed my alternative certification. After a year in Tulsa Public, teaching sixth grade science at Clinton Middle School, I was hired at the Jenks Freshman Academy, first for physical science, then biology. I felt fortunate at that time to be in a suburban district with better funding. But when the recession hit in 2008, the administration called a meeting and explained how lack of revenue would mean unusually deep cuts that year, which was understandable. The problem is Oklahoma has continued to cut education funding even after the economy recovered by 23.6%, which is significantly more than any other state. According to the Oklahoma Policy Institute, in 2014, 
per student spending was $857 below the pre-recession levels after adjusting for inflation. Booker T. Washington High School has cut staff by 20% since 2008, while enrollment is up by 7%. I went through years of cleaning my classroom because there was no money for custodians and covering for other teachers on my planning period because they couldn't pay substitutes. What does this reduced funding really mean for education? First, larger class sizes. I had 37 in a class in Tulsa, and after 2008, Jenks went up to the mid-30s as well, and multiply that by five classes a day. Teachers who left were not replaced, so that other teachers had to absorb the extra students. Enrollment went up every year, while staff numbers decreased. Oklahoma regulations for teacher-student ratios were suspended, and textbook replacement was postponed, going from replacing textbook every seven years to 11 years or more. As Booker T. Washington teacher John Waldron explained it, if he gave each student just one essay question and spent five minutes grading each one, it would take him over 13 hours, which is three weeks of his planning time. Just passing out papers or any activity takes longer, which means you accomplish less. As Rachel said, too many students do not get enough attention and slip through the cracks. Second, program cuts. East Central High School, after years of cutting, is eliminating whole programs, such as French, softball, baseball, <coughs> swimming, and golf. It has lost critical positions in special education and English language learners. Third, as I mentioned, teacher morale. Teachers are exhausted and stressed by increasing demands and pressure over test scores. Teach for America, a program that places recent college grads in classrooms for two years in exchange for student loan forgiveness, feels it is unrealistic to expect anyone to work as hard as they require for more than two years. Sounds like a recipe for burnout to me. Older teachers feel unwelcome, threatened by ever-changing technology, and pushed out to make room for less expensive, young, new teachers. Every year brought a large batch of 22-year-olds who were thrown into the deep end. Many did not last. <coughs> I've always been fortunate that my income was secondary uh, to my husband's, but single teachers in Oklahoma often worked second and even third jobs to make ends meet. I know one teacher who was hit by a car while biking to her second job to save gas money. Another teacher had to quit her second job to care, to care for her elderly mother as well as her children. Teachers aren't even joking anymore when they say their retirement plan is to win the lottery. The trouble is we're running out of applicants. The states surrounding us pay teachers substantially more, which means we're losing our best graduates and teachers who move here often change careers to avoid the large pay cut. Jenks used to have their pick of qualified applicants, but now they have trouble finding any qualified applicants. Oklahoma teachers are advocating to raise salaries only to the regional minimum. I was once told by a principal that teachers are a dime a dozen. We may still be only worth a dime, but there are no longer a dozen waiting to take our place. I was very fortunate to be hired by Holland Hall School last year. 
They no longer pay teachers more, though, so, than public schools do, so it will mean less money. But I now have half the students I did at Jenks. My class sizes range from 11 to 16. The administration is supportive and treats us like professionals. Everyone is experienced, and that experience is valued. We devote our time to developing curriculum and working with students as individuals. This is what education and teaching should be. This is just a doorway to a conversation and, and work that we will be doing one step at a time. Lynn, do you want to come talk? Lynn is chair of Hope's core action team that education is one aspect of what they're working on, and she'll tell you what we have coming up. Well, we've had some good stories here, and there are a lot more from people at Hope out there, I know. Toward that end, our action team is planning house meetings, and we want to hear your stories so that we can take them to our legislators. Um, Please sign up at the table in the fellowship hall to attend a house meeting. And later on, we'll be having a letter writing campaign as well. This is proving to be a powerful way to make Oklahoma legislators accountable. The work of action is sustainable, long-term work. And that is likely what's going to be needed around the issue of education in the state of Oklahoma. Thank you. We give away our plate every single Sunday. This month it goes to Meals on Wheels. Give Jen